now we have the pleasure of hearing a great talk. I got to see the notes on this, and you're in for a treat. Here is Caroline Park. Morning. Okay, so today is the first day I'm speaking and using the clicker at the same time. So hopefully it will go well. I'm juggling many things here. So we have been um, this, on the series called the, the Power of the Holy Spirit in Ordinary Time, like Sarah said. We've talked about the Holy Spirit uh, breaking out of the temple, crossing boundaries to come meet us, and how the wounds and the imperfections in us can be where we meet the Holy Spirit and receive her healing and restoration. You can see that in what we've been discussed so far, including some of the exercise that Sarah led um, us into, connection is a big theme. It's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about connection, love, and belonging. I bring up uh, connection a lot. It's uh, my River Kids team used to tease me about this, that, you know, any Every answer to the any questions that I ask is usually connection. Um, but um, it is something that I don't necessarily feel like it comes easy to me. And my childhood timeline might explain that a little bit. I'm going to press this down a little bit. Um, I was born in the States. I was actually born in uh, New York City in Upper West Side at St. Luke Hospital. Um, <laughs> yay. <laughs> I have a, I don't know, hospital mate there maybe. <laughs> um, my parents had come to New York from Korea uh, to study, and then they had stayed for a few years to work, and during that time I was born. And then our family moved back to Korea when I was two, and I grew up there. And I had a hard time growing up um, feeling connected to Korean culture. And I don't know if uh, that has anything to do with the fact that I wasn't born in Korea. While the land that I was born in was a foreign land. And that the motherland that I went back to was also a strange place for me too. And I don't remember anything from that time. Then I moved back to New York to uh, go to business school in my mid-20s. So uh, the funny story is that uh, when I, um, I applied for the school housing when I got, into, uh, got admitted to the school. And so when I moved and arrived in New York, I went and got the key and moved into the apartment that the school assigned me. And the next morning, I was taking a walk around the block and realized I was a small street across from St. Luke Hospital, where I was born in. So I uh, literally came back to my birthplace. But, um, of course, it didn't feel like home completely with the culture and the language barriers. Um, now, more than 20 years later, New York City feels like home to me. But not completely, you know. Um, I now have spent about the same number of years in America and in Korea. 
And I don't feel that I belong completely in either place. And perhaps many of us feel that way here too. So with that background and my personality as an introvert, connecting with people never came easy to me. So I'm surprised and amazed when I experience and witness connections with God and with other people and the power the connection creates. To me, these are not entirely natural phenomena. They are supernatural. I see heaven when I see genuine connections. And the Holy Spirit's power is right there. There is a very moving story in the Bible that describes this very dynamic that I want to share with you. So this is from the book of John, chapter 4. It is a little long, I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to use my clicker. When two worlds meet, that's our, okay. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired out, tired, out, uh, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. To us, Jesus said to her, "I am he, the one who is speaking to you." Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with the women, but no one said, "What do you want? Why or why are you speaking with her?" Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, "Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he?" They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, "It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world." That was long, right? So it was a long story. So let's see if we could um, try to understand this better. There are four parties involved in the story: Jesus, his disciples, women, and her Samaritan neighbors. A little background history of Samaria.、Um, Samaria was a region in northern、um, Israel. It was destroyed by Assyria long time before Jesus. And the Assyrians deported the Israelites who were living in the region, and repopulated the area with a mixture of different peoples. So the Samaritans were mixed people, despised by Jews. There was a big wall of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. So it was strange of Jesus to talk to this woman. There were not only of different races and religious practices, but also of different genders. And in this culture, women were not supposed to talk to men in public. Then there is the women's personal background story. We learn in the middle of the story that the woman has had five husbands and is now living with a man who is not her husband. And it is easy to jump into the conclusion that she was an immoral woman, at least in the standard of their culture. And I am guilty of that. But this little footnote in my Bible reminded me that the women in that culture did not have control over their own marriage arrangements. So culturally, it was almost impossible for them to have divorced five men. It is more likely that this woman was divorced、um, or widowed multiple times. And having been widowed or divorced this many times, she would have been considered cursed in that culture, and had hard time probably finding another husband. And the women in that culture did not have financial power or independence. So this left her in a vulnerable position to likely end up as a concubine to somebody. So the details in her story do not necessarily signal, signal her promiscuity, 
but her misfortunes, losses, and vulnerability. Life has not been good to her, and all the marriages that she's gone through and the husbands who are supposed to take care of her left her in lack, left her thirsty. So it makes sense how she says she doesn't want to be thirsty again and have to keep coming back to draw water that will not satisfy her. They're kind of speaking in code here. She is very tired and disappointed in her life. So that's the background story of the women. She has a lot of baggage. People probably thought of her, people in her town thought of her as the woman who's had five husbands. This dynamic created another layer of divide between the women and Jesus and probably the women and the, her, her neighbors too. So do you see the dividing wall of hostility? But Jesus steps over all those walls of hostility and engages her. He closes the chasm between them with one simple request. Give me a drink. He sounds a little bit rude and demanding in this translation. Other translation says, please give me a drink. Or will you give me a drink? He also ignores purity laws which I talked about a few weeks ago. It's bad enough that he's talking to a non-Jew who were considered unclean. Now, on top of that, he's asking for a drink. Is he going to drink from her bucket, touch it, which was touched by the women? That would definitely make him ceremonially unclean. So breaking through all these customs and rules that separated them, Jesus comes to her from a position of the weak. He is the one who needs her help. And his demeanor and attitude must have been non-threatening because the woman here engages him, even challenges him a little bit. Two drastically different worlds meet and engage in a conversation. And interestingly enough, they started talking about water. When Jesus offers living water, the woman takes it literally. Living, living water refers literally to flowing water. And which this is understandable since she's not used to this phrase. I once had a conversation about this at River Kids. I used to hang out with kids a lot downstairs. And I asked the kids what the living water might mean. And many of the kids thought that it meant that the water had a lot of creature living in it. (laughs) Which never, ever occurred to me. It's a reminder that what we think is clear to everyone is not always clear to other people. But Jesus was not talking literal here. He is talking about... He's not talking about actual water because no water can quench the thirst forever. He's talking about spiritual water, 
life that he has come to give. As he says in John 10.10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The story does not make it clear what this water is. But I have a distinct feeling that as they talk, as their two worlds meet, as the conversation flows, this living water that Jesus is talking about is also flowing between them, between the two worlds. And at the end of their encounter, the woman is changed. She is excited. She's more hopeful. She leaves her bucket at the well and goes to tell others about Jesus. As if she does not need the bucket to draw water anymore. This water jar left behind symbolizes that the woman is not thirsty anymore. She has already received the water Jesus offers. The living water is not something that she received when she said the magic words or pray the prayer, but that it has started flowing the moment they engaged in this genuine interaction. There's this icon that depicts this um, dynamic more beautifully than my drawings. Do you see they're connected by this living water, the living water dripping. And this living water flowing between them, I think, is the Holy Spirit. When two worlds, uh, two different worlds come and meet, the Holy Spirit is there flowing between the two, empowering deeper connection and understanding. The Holy Spirit, she opens up the window of heaven a little bit and helps us to see each other, really see each other with our spiritual eyes. It's clear that the moment they started engaging in a conversation, Jesus saw this woman and loved her. And at the end of this encounter, Jesus reveals himself to her as Messiah, which is the first time he's done to a Gentile woman. And in that moment, the woman sees Jesus too, right? She knows him at that moment. The veil is lifted and she connects with the heavenly reality. And in seeing Jesus, she also sees herself more clearly as the beloved of God, someone seen and valued by God. The flow of the Holy Spirit, the living water, does not stop there. Like Jesus said, once she received this living water, it becomes the spring of water gushing up in her. And we often take this phrase to mean our personal salvation. But what the story describes is a little different. It gushes up and spills over to other people. She runs back to the city and talks to her neighbors. Whatever reputation 
as a cursed woman she might have had, now she steps over that divide and reaches out to her neighbors. She's also very tactful in that. She softly puts the question there for others to figure out. Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Very tactful. Women are good at that. <laughs> and, and they engage her back, right? To their credit, they take her seriously. And now they come to Jesus to hear him, to know him. Remember the historical tension between the Jews and the Samaritans? So they must have had some feelings toward Jesus, a Jew. But now they move across that boundary and come to him. The living water gushing out from the woman must have spilled over to them as well. And I imagine it was healing for the woman. Now, she's not the woman who has had five husbands anymore. She is their spiritual leader. They now see her as who she really is. And they help her see herself as who she really is. The living water flows between the women and her neighbors. The Holy Spirit brings a little bit of heaven here. And this, I think, is a big deal. When we think about the Holy Spirit or spiritual experiences, we tend to think about it as only coming from God when we're engaged with God directly. But here, the women and the neighbors are engaged with each other, and the Holy Spirit flows between these humans. Our genuine human encounters can open up the heavens and release her power to change us. The Holy Spirit is at work when two worlds meet. Our genuine human encounters can open up the heavens. And release the heaven's power. Victor Hugo says in Les Mis, To love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. I think this is what it means. When we really see and connect with another person. It opens up heavens and let us see God. In the contrary, we see how Jesus' disciples refuses to, refuse to engage not only the Samaritan woman, but even Jesus. The story says they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? They don't want to talk about it. They just stand around making the woman uncomfortable. And she leaves. There's a little bit of a part of a story that I cut out because it was way too long. But in that part, the disciples don't engage Jesus in his controversial behavior even after the woman is gone. They just urge him to eat something. 
they stick to the safe topic. And you can see in this diagram that there's no engagement or living water flowing from the disciples from any, for any direction. The heaven has opened up and the spiritual power is being released and they are oblivious and disconnected. Where there's no connection, there's no flow of the Holy Spirit. Even for the closest friends of Jesus. And could it be that their refusal to cross the cultural, racial, and gender divide and engage the Samaritan woman has something to do with their inability to receive from Jesus? I think so. I'm sure they received from Jesus in other settings and in other ways, but in this particular situation, by closing the door of connection to another person, they have closed the door to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I think this is why love your neighbor as yourself is part of the greatest commandment, not because it is the right thing to do, but because loving others is how the power of God comes to us, how we meet the Holy Spirit, how we are transformed. And this is consistent with my own experiences. As I shared briefly earlier, I grew up with a general sense of disconnection from others and the world around me. So when I first experienced the connection with God, the Holy Spirit, it was amazing. And that was all I really cared about and wanted to focus on. But the more I'm healed and the more I'm restored in God, the more I feel that my salvation is in connections to others and the world. I receive from the Holy Spirit and become whole by belonging with others, by pressing into the messy human relationships by trying to really see the person who is in front of me. So this is my first practical suggestion of the day. Value people in your actions and choices. Let's value people over achievement, power, money, fame, even rules. Let's remember that the person in front of us is the doorway to heaven, our portal to see the face of God. Whether they're important to us or not, or valued by the world or not. When we value people, we take interest in them, we ask questions about them, and listen. We try to make their life a little bit easier rather than a little bit harder. Our choices at home and at work might be different. Our parenting choices might look different too. If, I, if we really believed that our children's happiness depended on their ability to connect with others, would that change our parenting 
I think so. So value people not just because it is morally or ethic, ethically right, which it is, but because our spiritual health depends on it. Because the life in all its fullness, Jesus promises, flows into us through connections with other human beings. Especially those who are different from us. And if you are an introvert like me and feel this is unfair, I am with you. <laughs> Connecting is easier to some other people than others. Um, but if this is of any consolation, I think because it is harder, when I do make small choices to reach out, I feel God responding enthusiastically. And often introverts are good listeners, and there's nothing like good listening to foster connections. My second suggestion is to speak your affirmation and appreciation. What the Samaritan neighbors say to the woman at the end of the story is a bit curious. They say, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. It almost sounds dismissive, right? It kind of sounds like they're throwing shades. But I think upon close reading, I think what they're really saying is that we took your word seriously when you said to us first. And then the three words that everyone loves to hear they're saying to her, you were right. Now we believe him too just like you said we would. They're speaking the affirmation, and it makes a difference. No matter how close we are to someone, we are separate people. So thinking affirmation or feeling the appreciation is just not as effective as speaking them. We need to speak it to bring it to reality. By speaking it, we are reaching out and stepping closer to the person. And we are opening the door for the kind of genuine connections where the Holy Spirit flows. And corollary to this suggestion is to receive the affirmation and appreciation when spoken to you. Don't deflect it. Don't dismiss it. Let it touch you. Just hard. Because without it touching us, there is no connection established. The living water flows both ways. So as I wrap up the talk here, let's try an exercise. In the spirit of valuing people, and speaking our affirmation and appreciation, let's take time to think of someone that you want to affirm and appreciate. It can be someone from your past or in the present, someone you're very close to and talks to all the time, or someone you don't talk to very often. Can you think of someone that you want to make that connection to?
when you think of someone, we、um, write to them on the postcards we're handing out right now. So we're gonna be handing out the postcards. We bought the postcards for you and put the stamps on them for you. So we can put this into practice right away.、Um, if you feel like you can use a little bit of help in、um, picking the right words of affirmation and appreciation, we have a list of nice words for you. We're not. We're kind of out of practice in terms of speaking our appreciation. So、um, here it is,、um, and I'm gonna pray for all of us, and then you guys could start writing. If you want to text this person right now and ask them for their address, feel free to. If you leave your postcards in the back, everything ready to go, we are happy to mail them for you. Or you can do that on your way home as well. Good. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we、um, ask you to speak to us, connect with us, flow in us, and help us to open up new connections and deeper connections with people around us. And when we do. Do that when we reach out. I pray that we would experience something surprising, something supernatural, because you, Holy Spirit, you are there with us. So I pray that you would、um, remind us of the people that we can appreciate and affirm, and you would guide our writing, you would guide our words. Be there with us in this step, in Jesus' name, Amen.